Hello everyone and welcome to the newest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and as always I'll be your host. This week I'm just joined by one of our very special Belgian football experts, that's Scott. Unfortunately Joris cannot join us this week, he's got some slightly more important things to be doing. Um, but he has sent us a couple of notes which we'll definitely talk about later. Uh, but as always Scott, you're here, you're raring to go, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, how are you Ben? You alright? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Unfortunately, I missed a lot of these games uh, because I was away on a little cycling trip. But I thought in true kind of Belgian fashion, if you're going to miss football, cycling is kind of the next thing to do, isn't it? Like that, at least I'm kind of keeping it within the Belgian sports culture. Um, so, yeah, let's we'll kind of do what we always do, uh, even though we don't have yours with us. Uh, we'll quickly run through all the results from this weekend. Scott has picked out a game of the week and if you know any of the results, you'll probably already, you already know which game Scott's going to go for. Um, but yeah, so let's quickly run through those. So on Friday, uh, Oostend and Genk played out a seven-goal thriller uh, in which Oostend came away winners 4-3. Uh, Shallower and St. Trude must have listened to me last week when I was talking about no nil-nils because they decided that they're just going to play at a nil-nil on Saturday. Uh, Circle of Brugge and Leuven played out a 1-1. Selang got their first win, 1-0 over Mechelen. We need to talk about that goal, that's for sure. Uh, Erpen continued their really impressive start to the season with a 1-1 draw at home to Anderlecht. Uh, Union Saint-Gerois had their first home game of the season and it was a fantastic atmosphere as they hosted last season's champions, Club Brugge. Unfortunately for the Brussels-based side, it was Club Brugge who came out on top 1-0 with a pretty good goal again that we need to talk about. Uh, Zotheran again hosted Standard Liège. Standard Liège 1-2-1. Ghent went 2-0 up, threw it away and drew 2 all to Beershot. And then Antwerp was surprised by Kortrijk, who have made it two wins out of two. Scott, if people have just remembered the uh, kind of scorelines I've read through, they know which game you're going for. But which is your game of the week? Well, my game of the week is Wild Night at the Luminous. Uh, Ghent 3, Ustend 4. Um Absolutely wild game, by the way. Wild game. Those of you who saw it will know what I'm talking about. Um, Genk race into a 2-0 lead uh, within the first half hour. And, you know, I'm sure most of you guys were thinking the same thing as me. And that is, you know, game's pretty much over. Um, but, you know, Usten get one back before half time, And it goes, they go in 2-1 at half time. You think, OK, game on here. Um, come back out. It's 2-2 before you know where you are. Um, and it starts to get um, rather tasty. Um, Genk, Genk actually played quite well, you know, um, as they've been doing for a long time, particularly offensively. Um, they got themselves in front again, 3-2, and you think, right, OK, that's that's probably going to, you know, be enough to do it this time. Uh, but no, you know, uh, they're pegged back again to 3-3, to and then for the first time in the game, um, on 79 minutes, I think it was, uh, Usten take the lead. Um, and, you know, it's all... It's all Topsy turvy, all turned in its head. Um, I think the the thing worth picking out here from Genk's point of view actually is is the defensive lapses really, particularly corners. What is it with corners and and Genk at the moment? I, I don't know what it is. I think three of the four goals in this game they conceded came from corners, um, and they had the issue the previous week as well where they conceded from a corner. Um, so. You know, I would imagine they've been working and training on on corners uh, ahead of what is tonight's game because, as we record, they're playing Shakhtar uh, in their Champions League qualifier this evening. So um, I'm sure the, the Shakhtar analyst and video team have been watching those corners closely over the last uh, few days. 
Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that game goes tonight. Um, one thing worth picking out here is uh, in relation to XG, actually, um, most of our regular listeners will know we're not big XG geeks here at the BFP, but what is interesting is not only did Gink uh, exceed their own expected XG uh, for this game, so did Ustend, and in doing so exceeded Gink's XG as well, which amused me when I went and had a look at that. That's how wild this game was. You know, it took all the expected stats, turned them on their head, and then exceeded them. Um, yeah, just I, I suppose there's some questions about the, the Genk defence. What exactly is going on at the, at the moment? We don't know. Is it is it unsettled? Um, there, there, there have been some changes. Um, that that's something that normally Yoris would be able to give us a really valuable insight into um, in in a week when he's not here. So um, we might be able to kind of come back to that um, on next week's episode as well. Um, interestingly, Thierry Ambrose as well, who stands new main man, or what we're all hoping is going to be their main man. He got his first goal as well with literally his first touch of the ball in Belgian football, which isn't bad going, is it? Um, worth picking out Brian Aynan's performance as well. I thought he was really excellent. Um, in the middle of the park for for Genk as well. Um, it's just a shame that you know Genk let themselves down defensively. I think um, otherwise, I think they probably would have won the game. A, a tale of mistakes. Alexander Blesson's face as well. I don't know if anyone who watched the game noticed the intensity of that concentration was absolutely unreal. We know how resilient they are um, as a unit. We saw that last season, which explained the, the season that they had, but there's just something about them where they just keep going. Um, and if a side make mistakes, then, you know, they're, they're more than happy to kind of profit from that. A fantastic game and really good advert for the Pro League as well. Yeah, no, definitely, Scott. I completely agree with all of that. Um, I managed to kind of, my phone was just popping off on Friday with all the goal kind of things coming through. I was just like, what a mental game this seems to be. And um, I guess one, a couple of things I want to pick out. Yeah, you've already mentioned Thierry Ambrose getting off the score sheet instantly. Like That's what they want, instant impact from him. Uh, Kenny Santos as well got two assists. Um, I know if yours is here, he'd probably agree with me that the third assist for the uh, Yakel goal was probably the most generous assist that could be ever be given because that was definitely a shot. Like 100% <laughs> he was just shooting. Uh, completely scuffed it and Yakel was just kind of there and headed it in. Even Van der Voort was kind of looking around like, what, is, what has just happened? Like, how has that gone in. Um, yeah, probably best that Joris isn't here because I'm sure he would be very upset about the defending and want to talk about that. But it was nice to see a game like this in front of fans as well. Like the atmosphere was mm. fantastic. Um, Machtar Gay celebrating in front of the Genk fans who decided to lob a couple of beers at him. Uh, he didn't seem too fussed <laughs> about that. We're not kind of like condoning that sort of action. But again, it's kind of like there's you could sell there's a bit of spice, a bit of atmosphere, like blessing, like you said at the end, he was just going nuts uh, when mm. they when the full-time whistle was given. Um, yeah, no, impressive from East End. Really happy for them to kind of, I mean, they've, they've started quicker, I guess, than they did last year by getting a win this early on in the campaign against a gang side that we thought would be right up there anyway, who have kind of, they've stuttered into these first, through these first two games a little bit. This, you could tell when they went 2-0 up, they probably were like, yeah, this is, this is comfortable, we're back, we're back into our flow. And then East End, like you said, they just don't give up. They never give up. They press you, they hassle. They've got players that are just kind of working hard for the manager. Um, impressed to see Zach Medley getting back into the side again, just keeping his place. I was really happy about that. Obviously, they could have brought in um, Tonj again. Arta Tiata's obviously going. He's going to Italy. So we're going to see a lot more Zach Medley and Jakel, I think. I think Blessing likes those two next to Hendry at the back. Um, 
Yeah, and it was just impressive all round. Some really good goals. The uh, Fasina goal, the first goal for East End, though, the defending was just ridiculous. That like, we thought we saw mm. some bad stuff from Anderlecht last week. Like it was a similar sort of. He had as much space as um, Undab did in that game. So, yeah, I think Gang fans will be frustrated for sure with that defending. Um, it's not like they're bad defenders either. Like they should be good enough between the four of them: Pesciade, Sadiq, Mackenzie, Artiega. Like there's good players there that shouldn't be conceding four goals at home um who's your man of the match did you man of the match sorry your man of the week was it from this game or was it from one of the other ones yeah well and this this feels like the first time in absolutely ages that my uh player of the week comes from the the same game as my my, my match of the week um and i've gone for a uh, genks mike trezor endashime there you go give him his full name give his sunday name as we say um, yeah, I, I think the story with Mike actually is, wow, has he hit the ground running or what? I mean, admittedly, he's only played three games if you include the Super Cup, but he's producing some real consistency and some real quality and, and actually making a difference to the side already. Um, so he's already proven himself to be a valuable signing. Um, 22-year-old midfielder, signed from Villelm, of course. Um John Van den Brom knows him very well from, from his own time managing um, in the Eredivisie as well. Um, looking at the stats from the game, this is where it gets much more interesting and impressive as well. Um, 99 touches across the 90 minutes, which is a pretty unreal stat in itself, actually. Nine out of nine um, successful dribbles. Uh, a 100% tackle success rate across the game. You don't see that very often. Three interceptions. Uh, 80% pass rate and I think that was around about 70 passes as well um, and 10, 10 chances created alone so pretty much the only thing he didn't do was was score himself you know he provided two, two assists in the game um, really really good game um, absolutely all over the place and if he can produce that on a consistent basis for them then he's going to be an absolutely fantastic signing for them um, doesn't doesn't look out of place. Looks quite comfortable being able to slot in there because we know how versatile a player is as well. So, Vandenbroom's got a number of options with him. But I, I thought he was brilliant, and he had to make um, my team of the week this week as well because he was he was probably one of the yeah it was one of the three best performances of the weekend for me. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone can argue that. Even though he was on the losing side, I think there's only so much he can do as a forward player to kind of keep his team in it. And I mean, two assists within 90 minutes, like you can't really ask for more than that. Uh, he's an interesting one as well, because I think I kind of saw him when he's playing in that role. I thought, oh, he's just kind of like a wild force that's getting back to fitness and stuff like that. They're just going to play Mike Tressel there to kind of fill that need. But he's not, he's once uh, Thorsell is fit again, they'll just switch them back round and he'll become like the backup winger, kind of central attacking midfielder. But now he's kind of, laid down that marker to the manager and been like, look, no, this is what I can do. I'm good enough to start these matches. I'm good enough to play in this. Like, He's now made himself undroppable after this game, you'd think. You'd think, actually, you can't drop him yet because he's still, if he's producing this, it's kind of a bit unfair. So then how does Forsberg get back into the team? Because he was fantastic at the back end of the season. So ironically, their kind of strength and depth we've kind of spoken about is what makes them really good. And now it's kind of like you need to start putting some results together because that's a draw and a defeat to start the season. I know it's early days, but it's not really what you want when you know that a, cl- a club like Club Brugge, who you're probably going to be playing against for the title, will just go on one of those runs that they usually do at some point and pick up loads of points. And that's kind of the fear with Genk was this inconsistency. And to throw away a game like this, like it will come back to bite you in the end. Like The way the league splits with the 
halving of points and stuff like that, like dropping points at home like this that you probably shouldn't have done will be really frustrating. But yeah, no, well played to Mike Tressa, well played Oostend as well. Really happy for Blessing and them. Like we're big fans of the project that's going on there and it's nice to see. Um, there was a lovely, there was a lovely moment as well, actually, just on on the full time where you know the Ustain squad kind of gathered together as a huddle, and and Blessing came out from the technical area and addressed them. And there was a moment like that towards the end of last season as well, where Manton and Kell, uh, Ustain's famous mascots, kind of got stuck into some of the celebratory action, and obviously they went around because of the games at the Illuminus. But um, it was a similar kind of feel, and it just suggested, you know, a, a reasonably significant moment that, you know what I mean, to turn the game round the way they did Oostend, you don't see those those kind of collective team moments, you know, in front of the cameras too often, um, and to see a moment like that after a game like this on only the second week of the season, I think is potentially uh, emphasis on potentially significant. The other thing as well, I suppose before we move on, is just worth asking, you know, how much of a miss uh, Big Paul Onoachu is, not necessarily in goals, because we know offensively how good kind of uh, Genk are, you know, they, you know, they scored three uh, even without him, but you just, just in an influence sense, knowing that he's there, you know, and, and you know, did they, did they miss him at some of those corners as well? So, you know, it just... Interesting. Be interesting to see who starts as well for for Genk in their Champions League game against Shakhtar later on this evening as well. A, a lot for them to think about ahead of a, a really big couple of weeks for for the Genkies. Yeah, no, definitely. I know that Joris is quite concerned about this tie against Shakhtar, and I think having watched that game and seen the result there, maybe there were some eyes that were on this game on the game coming up instead because it's big. It's big, like for lots of these players to play some Champions League football against a Donetsk side that everyone knows is good. They they make the group stages. They play fantastic football. Despite being a team that's been bounced around their own country and stuff, they still manage to produce like quality performances and get into Europe and can be competitive. So it's one of the hardest ties they could have got. And it'll be interesting, yeah, to see what kind of lineup, what players are like kind of fit and firing. And I expect a better performance and a more kind of like consistent performance over 90 minutes from them in this game for sure. Um, while with Yoris not here, I'm going to take the role of a uh, summariser. I guess there's a couple of things I want to talk about from uh, this week of action, and most of them are kind of goals. Actually, um, I saw there was a a lot of nice goals, a lot of nice goals in that game that you were meant just talked about there, Scott. But um, one that I feel like beer shop fans probably wouldn't like to kind of have to talk about and see is their old man uh, Tarek Tisudali coming back to kind of haunt them again I guess you could say but there's only one man he really haunted and um, that was poor old Frederick Franz uh, so if you haven't seen that goal you've got to watch it <laughs> ball comes in it's kind of he's got his back to goal and he controls it and it's just him against Frederick Franz and he manages to turn him and then turn one way turn the other day and then trick past him and then put it beautifully past Mike Van Hamel doesn't celebrate out of respect for his former club but it's one of those moments that you watch that and you think yeah he did that to you in training a lot and he knows exactly how you're going to react when he does it like he knows exactly what fans was going to do which way he was going to bite and stuff like that I thought that was a quality goal in a game that poor old Ghent just what a terrible start to the season they're kind of having as well with that defeat against Intraden Throwing away a 2-0 lead against Beershot. I think Joris has mentioned he sent us a couple of notes over that um, the teams that went 2-0 up both failed to win uh, in Genk and um, Ghent. Easily confused as well. But yeah, frustration for them because they've 
got a good side on paper. It's just kind of making it click. They obviously are through in the Europa Conference League, uh, despite losing um, the game away in Oslo to Valerenga. They get through, so that's good. We can speak, speak more about kind of matchups and stuff later on. But yeah, that was that two-all draw that with beer shot. I wanted to highlight one of those goals. Um, we also saw our first kind of sighting, I guess you could say, of Aaron Donham for Standard Liège. Um, and he provided the assist for the winning goal. And it's one of those crosses that I think you have to watch a couple of times to really appreciate how good it is because it's accurate and at pace. And it's just like the technique he shows to put it in uh, to tap, for Tap Silver to uh, put it in the back of the net is fantastic. And yeah, it was nice to kind of see him starting with a little bit of a bang, a little bit of kind of momentum. Because it's, it's kind of easy to forget that he's actually already started his season. Like he's not coming in kind of off the back of no like match fitness. Like he's been playing in the Letters area and it goes over the summer. So he's coming in with some match fitness so he can hit the ground running. It's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens later on because he obviously will have had a much longer kind of season, I guess, in that sense, by the time we get to December. So the winter break could be quite a big thing for for Donham. Um, we also had from Joris also mentioned that uh, in that game, we had the Sasako brothers against each other. And ironically, one of them scored a fantastic goal from uh, Zoltas Val against Sasako. But unfortunately for him, it was his brother, uh, Standard Sasako, who got the W in that one. So I guess they could <laughs> kind of share a little bit of bragging rights. But I know that... Um, yeah, you'd much rather win than score, that's for sure. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, obviously Charleroi and St. Truden, I apologise to everyone that watched that game because I feel like it's personally my fault for saying that we haven't had any nil-nils. I think we also <laughs> think this is like a really good game to watch, a really interesting one to watch. Um, Charleroi did have a goal disallowed. Uh, Shamar Nicholson returned back into the fold, but uh, Morioka was already offside in the build-up, so... Yeah, that kind of ended. One website had it down as 1-0 still uh, for quite a long time if, after the final whistle, but that definitely finished 0-0. Um, massive, massive shout-out as well. We've got to give to Selang. They got their first win of the season. And um, yeah, as you always noted here, and if you watch the highlights of this game, uh, poor Riori Kondom got so excited, he grabbed the assistant referee and gave him a hug on the touchline. <laughs> <laughs> he was that like he was taffing his watch, and the moment it happened, the assistant ref was just the man in front of him so he just grabbed him straight away gave him a massive cuddle um and he looked absolutely terrified of that but the goal in that game scott um what what was going on it was just ridiculous mecklen have a goal kick um they play it out to the left center back plays it back across and it's uh what they probably call in the trade a hospital pass because it was so badly <laughs> under hit um and yeah i just I don't know how else to talk about that one. It was just such a terrible ball back across. Gets taken by the Serang player. Keeper gets injured trying to get to it as well. And it's just an easy, easy tap-in for our very good friend, the man with the longest name in football. Um, go on, go on, treat us. I'm going to try and get it. Yeah. Marius Mu and Dilmaji uh, getting yeah. off the mark. And... Again, I thought like they listened to me and me saying, I'm worried about where the goals are going to come from. And Mechelen were like, don't worry, lads. We've got you covered. We'll give you that first <laughs> win. But it's important, isn't it, Scott? I think kind of like in all seriousness, for a, rele- a, not relegate, a team that's just been promoted to get that first win so early should give them massive confidence. 
Yeah, you can see the relief on uh, Jordi Condom's face, actually, during the game. There was a lot of the camera was on him a lot during the game, actually. So uh, it was quite interesting. You know, he started off quite tense. And then as the game was panning out, you know, the tension dissipated into what to me looked like um, anger, to be honest. He was getting quite frustrated and and, and wound up. Um and he was gesticulating a lot. It was actually interesting. Maybe Jordi Cam's going to become a thing this season because um, he's quite an interesting character to watch in the touchline. Um, he really kind of he, he lives the whole thing. Um, he's one of those coaches. Um, so yeah, let's let, let's see if Jordi Cam becomes a thing. Um, and then he he just started to relax completely. Um, you know, after they had the lead, but you know that moment as well when it got to stoppage time and he's gesticulating, he's doing the you know time over cutthroat gesture to to the officials, um, which was just you know uh, un- unreal. But to see a coach kind of loving things that passionately is great. But it did it did strike me at the time that I was aware of how important obviously it is for a newly promoted side to to get their first win, especially against a side who they probably weren't necessarily. Most people wouldn't have had them down to get much. Um, in, in this game, particularly how Mecklen played last weekend in their opening game, they were absolutely excellent. Um, they obviously took the week off this week because you know the the performance for them was was pretty woeful. It was um, it was poor in every every department, particularly defensively. I mean that that goal was so bad. I actually swore out loud when I was watching the game. I couldn't believe how appalling the mistake was. I mean, you know, you you, you can. You know, barely do these things if you try half the time. So you know, to do it in a real game uh, situation like that, just just torturous. Wouter Franken, obviously Mecklen's manager, his his face was quite funny uh, during his own Wouter cam moments. Um, he just looked pissed off from the first whistle to the last. You know, it was just just. They just, you know, just wasn't their day at all. And obviously whatever he said at halftime didn't make any difference because they weren't weren't any better whatsoever. Um it was a poor game actually. Um a really a really poor game. And I remember saying to you guys while I was watching it, this is this is a stinker. There's nothing happening here and, and it, it didn't get it didn't get any better. But yeah, Sarang off the mark and um It'll be interesting to see what they can do now. Mando Maggi's got his first goal. Um, good for his confidence. So um, we'll see if he can he he can kick on now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this was one of the games I was trying to watch while I was away, and um, I think I just I was had it just up on my phone or something, and it, the ball went out of play for the goal kick. So I just put my phone down. So I'll just go grab something quickly while they're taking this goal kick. And one of my mates was like, "Oh, you just missed a goal." I was like, "What?" And I saw it. I was like, "Oh wow, wow!" Like. <laughs> And I'm just looking at kind of like the stats. I think it's kind of like the way Salang should look to play in that they allowed mm. um, they allowed Mecklen to have more of the ball, kind of a little bit more possession in that sense. But at the end of the day, they had 40% possession. They created 10 chances, uh, according to Footmore, whereas Mecklen mm. only created three chances. So that's what they are capable of. They can create chances. It's yeah. just sticking them in the back of the net. And I think you've got to get one of those luck. You know, you need a bit of luck. You get that lucky goal and that's the start of a run. Like I think you said it last week, they just need to get the momentum going. Yeah. They could be fine um, because they've got the manager there. They've got the experience. They've got some good players. It's just the goal scoring department. But if yeah. they can start chipping in and get that little bit of luck and get that little bit of confidence, like they're going to be entertaining to watch, even if they didn't have the most entertaining of games that week or this weekend that just came past. 
you made a really interesting point there about kind of the way they played the game actually, because you know a lot's made of possession stats, as if having the lion's share of the possession uh, means that somehow automatically you were brilliant. Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. I mean, it, it works like that maybe if you're a top Spanish side or you're the Spanish national side and you play a system that you know you've been trained in for years to do and it works for you. But actually, it, there are a lot of sides who deliberately give up possession. But for a reason, you know, if you're giving giving up possession deliberately in certain areas of the, the pitch, you're doing that with a view to getting it back quickly, often to counter or to be right down someone's throat. And there might be something in this for Sarang. You know, it's, it's worth, it's worth you know, thinking about. I, I read an interesting article recently on this very subject about sides that deliberately give up possession um, for, for their own reasons. Um, and that's, that's, that's not a bad thing to do that. So I suppose it's just a wee reminder to everybody, not that we need it, that, you know, the stats, the possession stats, um, don't always tell you the full story. Um, and sometimes a side is, is willfully giving it away for, for their own ends as well. So, um, have a look out for that in games. That's for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just quickly move on to two more games uh, before we look at a bit of news and stuff like that. Uh, start with Union against Club Brugge. I only managed to watch the highlights of this, but I feel like I watched a, an entire game because it just looked like an absolute crazy one where uh, first half Union looked like they had all the chances. It looked like Club Brugge were really like kind of under the cosh. Um, Banzier was causing lots of problems. They had some really good, like really, really good chances on the break. The way they just kind of played their way out from the back. Um, I mean, when you look at the foot mob stats for that, the chances created 11 total shots, 14 across the game, uh, had 48% possession against uh, the champions. So un- kind of unlike Sarang, they they want the ball, even if they're playing against top, top sides, they're happy to have the ball. Uh, but it looked like at halftime, uh, Philippe Clermont got into Club Bruges and was like, come on, lads, like, you were poor last week. You ca- you're being, you're poor at the beginning of this week. Let's, let's see something different. And then they came out and started to play. Uh, it looked like the Ketelar started to get on the ball more. Langle on the ball more. They were starting to really kind of go at Union Central a while. And I have to say, watching kind of the highlights back in that stadium, it's just fantastic, wasn't it? Like seeing the fans there. Ooh. Such a throwback stadium. Uh, German football fans, if you're listening to this, especially if you know the uh, kind of a couple of years ago when um, Darmstadt were in the Bundesliga and they had that stand opposite where the camera is with no, there's no roof or anything. It's just open to the elements and the fans just kind of pile in that's where they had most of the fans in this game. And it was just, it kind of reminded me of that when Darmstadt were in there. And you're like, yeah, this is a throwback stadium, kind of like a throwback club. But the atmosphere was fantastic. Like, really, really enjoyed kind of what I saw of that. But I also really, really enjoyed the goal, uh, the winning goal from uh, Edward Sobel. Um, he, he has scored a couple, like, last year he scored, I think, that one or two really, really good goals, like kind of volleys and stuff like that, or like runs through. But this one, he just connected perfectly with it. Um it's one of those ones kind of you may look back on it and think uh, Morris could maybe have done better, but the speed and kind of the power that it was hit with, it just almost took him into the net with him, didn't it? It was just ridiculous. Um, and you could see the relief on, I think, like Clinton Matter and uh, I think it might have been Vorma or Ritz were kind of like the first players to him just going absolutely bananas at it because it was just a mental, mental goal and not one you'd expect from um, your Ukrainian left back in Eduard Sobol. But yeah, shame for Union. I thought kind of if they'd gotten a point out of that I mean if they'd got four points out of their first two games that'd be incredible but I think if you ask them three points winning the derby they'd probably take that over beating Club Brugge I think getting those bragging rights early on in Brussels but again another 
kind of testament to Mazu and how he set them up to kind of go at teams. And we thought that would be the case. We thought they wouldn't sit back and kind of hold back against uh, Club Brugge. And I think it's kind of a good game for Club Brugge to have in terms of a team that's going to go at you and really, really attack you. And even at the back end of a game, they're still going to be pushing forward. But I thought their second half was a lot better uh, under Clement. It looks like they created a lot more chances. Um, it was nice to see Van Aken get back on the pitch um, on the way back from kind of the Belgian national team. It was also nice to see Mignolet uh, recovering from his injury and coming back. He made some really good saves in that first half by the look of it. Um, I think they'll benefit from his experience at the back, kind of controlling the defence and stuff like that. Um, I've got one more game to talk about, but Scott, is there any kind of other games you want to quickly touch on? Well, just just before we move on, I think you know the the, the interest in this the the Union uh, Bruges game because um, I was referring to it the other day as a smashing grab. That's what it felt like to me. Bruges Bruges were very much in the game, but not creating a great deal. Um, and you know, Union were by far the better side for virtually the whole game. And the games turned on just that amazing strike of so balls. I've watched it back quite a few times from different angles, and if you haven't seen it, go and check out our Twitter account because we did share it afterwards. And I don't think anyone was saving it, to be honest. No one was saving that goal. But the relief, and you mentioned it, Ben, the relief on a lot of the Bruges players was, was unbelievable. Hans Van Aken's face actually was quite interesting. He looked as shocked as anyone else when that went in just because it was such a good goal. But then, you know, it was just that, that moment of shock dissipating and turning into pure joy when he realised, right, we've, yeah, it's a smashing grab, guys. We've, we've probably nicked this when um, it didn't look like they were going to do it. Um, Philippe Clement was actually quite worried about this game going into it. You know, he was talking a lot in the press about how um, respectful he is of the job that Felix Mazou has done there and, and um, how he's a top coach, which we all know he is. Um, so I think, you know, going to uh, the Joseph Marien is not going to be an easy ride for, for anybody this season. It's going to be one of the hardest places to go, I think, because Union just picked up where they left off last week. Played really, really well. Really feel for Felix Mazo in particular because afterwards he was shaking his head on the touchline. Um, when the camera went on to him and I got my, my Felice cam moment, um, poor Felice was just standing there with his arms folded and he was actually just shaking his head. That's all he was doing for about two or three minutes, you know, like like a guy who knew that they'd just been done and he couldn't quite believe it, you know, you know, split second moment. Um it's football, isn't it, guys? It's just unbelievably fine margins sometimes, and that's what it took in this game. Just one unbelievable strike, um, you know, turned turned the whole game in its head. Just bizarre, but a re- really good game. This and fantastic atmosphere. Yeah, we're looking forward to getting out there and sampling a bit of that ourselves. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's one of the ones I'm really, really looking for, forward to going to. That's for sure. Um, I said I just wanted to pick up one more game. I'm actually, going to pick up two more games because you just remind me with your kind of another reference to manager cam. Uh, we should probably talk about Vincent Company, who looked very, very suave in his suit and white trainers. Um, he's a very cool-looking bloke, but I don't think he was very feeling very cool after their one-one draw with Erpen. And I think it's kind of yeah, it's interesting to see that he chopped and changed a fair fair amount. They dropped Taylor, uh, he played Raman on his own up front, and I think there's a debate to be had about whether Raman has actually nicked. I think it was Amazu's goal. Um, <laughs> I guess it wasn't the best moment for Nuruddin. It kind of went through his hands, but it was kind of trickling along the line. And I know any good striker, you just got to stick it in the back of the net. But as a man with um, Amazu and my fantasy football team, I'd rather he had just left it and let it go in. Um, much prefer to pick up the points that way, that's for sure. But he gets off the mark, which is great for him. He's kind of another player that needs a little bit of a confidence booster. 
Um, but Urpen, as we saw last week, they were well in the game again. Um, yours has kind of given me a nice little stat that it looks like Anderlecht have not won in eight consecutive games now, which is just crazy uh, to think about that. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, but for Urpen, that's kind of what unbeaten against uh, Anderlecht haven't lost, didn't lose to Club Brugge. Like if you'd offered them two points at the beginning of the season, they'd have probably taken it. Uh, at the end of the Club Brugge game, they'd probably be very disappointed with that point. And even in this game, they looked good. Um, they made their chances. They, they were creative, all that sort of stuff that we saw last week. So yeah, it kind of leads me on to this next point that I've got that actually we now have um, nearly every team in the league has at least picked up a point. Uh, and only one team has won both their games. And they've already put out on Twitter that they want us to stop the count, end the season now, let's finish it off. Uh, and that's <laughs> Kortreich, who, if you'd said that the Kortreich-Antwerp game would be the the winner, like whoever at the end of that game, there'd be a t- one of those teams would be at the top, one of the teams would be at the bottom. You'd have probably had Antwerp at the top and Kortreich at the bottom, but actually it's Kortreich who at the top now. Um, Faiz Salamani scoring in the 87th minute. Fantastic goal from him. He's started off Ooh. two two and two now. Um Luca Elsner with a great, great start for Kortreich. Got them playing really well, really confidently. Um, stuttering start for Antwerp. They haven't picked up any points, as I just mentioned. Frustration, probably. They, But I think we're kind of, I don't know if you agree, Scott, they're kind of waiting for everyone to get back into fitness and kind of gel and mould that team together. And I think it's going to take a little bit more time than fans would probably want it to. Um and maybe Brian Prisky himself probably would like to speed it up in a sense. But with Balakwisha out, just brought in Yusuf, you've got to blood him into the squad. Uh, there's a couple of others as well that you're kind of getting into there, like Buta as well as kind of potentially moving to Celtic. They kind of need the transfer window to end so they kind of know what they've got. Um, but what do you think about Kortreich, top of the league? Like, what a great start for Luka Elsner. Yeah, fantastic start. There was a there was a brilliant video actually going doing the rounds on social media that we shared last night, um, that shows a bit of footage of the Kertrike team coach, um, and I think it's either I think it's when the coach arrives back in Kertrike. It's later on in the evening, much later, and it's met by a crowd of Kertrike fans who are chanting away at the bus. Um, Luca gets off the bus and addresses a crowd of of fans, um, and and thanks them and, and talks about you know. Um, their good start to the season and saying, look, we can continue this if you guys keep coming and you know doing your bit as well, which is really nice. I think their pre-season preparations are, are it's almost as if they're starting to pay off already after two games. Um, they're one of the sides who had a, a a good a good pre-season. You know, they they went away together and they had a lot of downtime. There was a lot of sort of beach volleyball going on, um, a lot of team building exercises, um, a lot of you know non-football related specific activity as well. Um, so I think that that that's really started to um, pay dividends for them early already. Um, they've got some great people working on um, kind of uh, stats in the background for them. Uh, one of them is the the BFP's good friend, the doctor as well. You know, he's he's working with Kertrike at the moment. Um, and um, I, I think it would be a remiss of us if, if we didn't, you know, put it out there and go, you know, secret weapons like that. And the doctor very much is a secret weapon because, you know, his, his eye for detail is very, very good. So 
you know, if Kertrack go on to have a very good season, then you know he can he can very much claim to you know have taken his part in that because he he, he spots some gems, uh, things that people would miss sometimes. Yeah, they've been brilliant. Fire Cellar managed goal, absolutely fantastic goal that technically, by the way. Um, I must have been disappointing for uh, Butes in the Antwerp goal because he had a pretty good game as well, made a number of good saves. So to to lose, you know, very so late on in the game after playing so well personally is always hard for a goalkeeper. But again, it's a football thing, isn't it, guys? It's back to the fine margins thing. Um, let's see if they how long they can continue this kind of Kertrike. Um I I have quite a good feeling about them. I I think you know they're going to be quite consistent this season, actually, especially having seen what I've seen in, a lot, in the the first two games. Anyway, yeah, there seems to be like this confidence around them that we really didn't see when um Ivan Lahag was there before and there was all this confusion about whether he's going to come and whether he's going to stay and then he wasn't going to stay and then it was like we're going to get rid of him at the end of the season but it's like why don't you just get rid of him now and it was all this kind of bizarre situation we had last year and you could really feel that taking a toll on the club like everything kind of when you watched them you didn't feel like they had all that togetherness but then Lucas come in and it started to build at the back end of last year like some of the games they played, I think when they went to, is it Bevan and they went and they just kept plugging away and like, they didn't need to win the game mm. at all, but, and Bevan were desperate to win the game, but they managed to nick it at the end. And you're like, yeah, that's a team that wants to just win. They don't, it doesn't matter on the situation at the time, like they just want to win games. And I think this result, I wasn't able to watch the game, but what it kind of says to me is normally when you get into kind of like the 85th minute or the like late on in games and, your team, no offence them, the size of Kortrijk against a team the size of Antwerp, who has spent some money, they've like invested in the squad, they're, they're just a bigger club um, at the moment than Kortrijk are, but usually when you're the Kortrijk in that situation, you'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll take a point now, like, it's 85th minute, let's just hold what we have, this is great, take a point, but that's clearly not what they're setting out to do, that's not what Luke Elsner wants them to do, and I think there's quite a few clubs in this league that are acting like that now. And I think that's really been quite entertaining seeing these teams kind of pushing for winners, even though actually they technically are the weaker team. So yeah, happy for Selimani for sure. Like he's really entertaining player, really under the radar sort of player uh, last season. Yeah. Uh, were some rumours about him leaving, but they were false, which is great because we want him to stay. Um, he's really kind of good player to watch. They've got experienced players alongside some youngsters, like really good blend. Um, just an interesting team, really interesting team. And the atmosphere last week against Salang when they won was fantastic. So I can see why Luca wants the crowd to keep coming because it definitely makes a difference, that's for sure. Let's move on. Uh, a little bit of news, um, which centres around strikers. Um, obviously, that means that Anderlecht are very much involved. Uh, but kind of like a farewell kind of note, I think, to Roman Iremchuk. Uh, for those who don't know, he has left Ghent now and gone to Benfica. Uh, I personally think that's a really good move for him. I really like it as a move. I think I didn't really want him to go to kind of a middle, mid-table Premier League team where he may get Europe some years, he may get Europe, not no European football the other years, and he's just kind of like muddling around. Where if he goes to Benfica, you're going to get European football, at least Europa League potentially, Conference League, you'll definitely be in that if that's how far they drop. But Champions League as well, he gets to play there. Massive, massive club. Um, really entertaining club to watch as well. Like Benfica, always a good team to watch. They've got some really interesting players there. And yeah, I just think Portuguese football is a great move for him. Uh, Scott, what's your kind of opinions on this one? I know obviously we're quite sad to see him leave Belgium, but it was inevitable really. 
Yeah, I, w- I was tweeting tweeting uh, to thank him for the memories. Actually, when that was confirmed um, the other day, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really pleased he's chose Benfica in the end. And my understanding was that he, you know, Benfica was his number one choice for weeks actually, um, and this was a case I think of players having to go out before Benfica could bring him in. Actually, that that's what really held it up. Um, I think we've all known that you know the move was coming and he wanted it really done before the Euros but because as I was saying the circumstances other people had to leave Benfica first before he could come in but it's happened now um, great club um, superb stadium and facilities one of the, the finest academies um, in Europe um, probably Champions League football we don't know for certain yet but you know I mean there's a very good chance there will be and probably more important than all of that is the the chance for him to win some trophies while he's there as well um, and he's got time you know he's got time to, to spend two or three years in Lisbon have a great time and then maybe go to one of the the supposedly top five leagues um, you know and, and, and do some damage there because he's, he's certainly capable of doing that but I, I think he just fancies going to Lisbon for a few years and um, I think his his, uh, his girlfriend was a big factor in this as well you know I think her preference was was for Lisbon and anyone who's been to Lisbon will know kind of what a great city it is um, for, for lots of different things um, so yeah quite quite an exciting move and I'm sure we'll be keeping uh, one eye on him uh, if not ourselves our friends at uh, Zoya London School will, will be doing it even more intensively for us yeah no definitely um, it was cool to see like their reaction to him and like yeah if you're interested in Ukrainian football and you haven't you don't follow Zoya London then um, you're really missing out that's for sure uh, these guys cover him really well and we've got a lot of Ukrainian footballers in this league as well so He's just kind of one of many. But yeah, no, like you said, like Lisbon, what a city. Like, I mean, if you get the chance to go there and play football and earn money, I mean, why wouldn't you? Beautiful part of the world. Um, Great for football as well. Some big teams there, some big rivalries. He's going to get to play against Porto, Sporting Lisbon, like who've researched, they've got their resurgence going on. Porto knocked Juventus out of the Champions League. Like, yeah, people may be like, oh, we should have gone to, like you said, like a top five league. But Portuguese football is not like it's some kind of like naughty league on the outskirts. Like, these boys get to the Champions League, they upset the top five leagues. There's some really good teams out there. So, yeah, I think we have to admit it's a step up uh, for him. And I think it's kind of a step in the right direction rather than, like I said, kind of going to, no offence, but like a team like West Ham, where it's like this kind of, you're not always going to get into Europe. Like you'll have a good season now and then, but it's kind of a little bit more up in the air. Whereas Benfica, he's going to be good. Like I think his style of play as well, like he's technically very good. He's physically strong. He's quite quick. He has kind of all the attributes you need as a top striker to kind of really impress. And I think, yeah, Benfica fans are going to enjoy what they get from uh, Roman Juremchuk. And it's always good to keep your girlfriend happy. That's for sure. So if she wanted to go to Lisbon, I think there was, yeah, it was always going to be his first choice, wasn't it? Um, Moving on to someone who would love to, he'd probably love to go to Lisbon. I think he'd love to just kind of get away from the situation he's in at the moment is a Suzuki of St. Um They've come out and said that he won't be sold within the Belgian league, um, which is a shame for Anderlecht because Anderlecht on their kind of search for strikers, he is he was on the very, very long list that they had. That's now not going to happen. And... Yeah, I don't really know what to read, how to read this situation anymore. It's all a bit confusing. Like, they, St. Gerard clearly want more money than people are willing to pay. He wanted to go to Italy. Clearly, no one from there is starting to pay. Like, do you think there's a situation, Scott, where they just say, okay, we're just going to have to take the money from Anderlecht? Um, they've offered near enough evaluation. We just have to bite the bullet. 
This one kind of perplexes me a wee bit, actually, because um, I think we knew towards the end of the back end of last season that there was a very high chance that Suzuki wasn't wasn't going to start the season um, at St. Truden. He has, although he hasn't played, obviously. Um, and a bit like Yaramchuk, he hasn't played because everyone knows there's a move coming. You're right, his preference for a long time has been Italy, but nothing's been forthcoming yet. The interesting thing is there haven't even been any whispers of any kind at all about anywhere. So I'm sure his agent and his representatives are working away in the background. Um, and it's clear, you know, St. Truden's chairman um, was, was saying only today that, you know, it's, it's been very clear for some time now that his intention is to, to, to move on. Um, it just hasn't happened yet. It may be something similar to, to the case with Roman Yaramchuk where um, a club is waiting for uh, some people to go out before he can come in. Um, but the fact that there hasn't been any any discussion around uh, prospective destinations or, or, or whispers around clubs' interest, I, I find kind of quite mysterious because normally that's all over the place before you know anything's actually confirmed as well. So the fact this has been so quiet is a bit mysterious. So we'll just need to wait and see see what happens with that one um, because it's been rumbling on for what feels like absolutely ages. And they'll be keen actually if he's made it clear he's leaving, then they'll they'll be clear to kind of you know get the best deal possible and to move on because they, they need really to get some faces in. I think it could be a long hard season for St Truden if they don't manage to get two or three in. Um, I think they're asking prices in the region of five million and they're obviously not 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 getting that at the moment. I think Anderlecht were where um, there was talk that they might be offering around four million, which you know you would think might be enough with no other interest, concrete interest to to um, to sweeten that deal and get it done. But I think a big factor in this as well is Suzuki doesn't seem to be prepared to stay in Belgium, uh, which is a wee bit odd as well because he knows the league, he's done well year on year, and the prospect of going to a big club like Anderlecht and continuing to progress might be another stepping stone for you. So I'm not sure why. He's digging his heels in with, you know, such a lack of interest. It's it's a mysterious one. It's a mysterious one. Yeah. Um, not to kind of like beat the Anderlecht drum and kind of, we're obviously very neutral in this podcast and stuff like that. But if you think about it, I know modern scouting is very different now. You can kind of watch any teams anywhere, but Anderlecht will have people watching them just because the talent that comes out of that club is just ridiculous. Um, obviously, we've seen it like the Congo, Sharon, like Itel Aj, like all these players, like they're being watched by teams. So if you go there... Whether or not they're coming to watch you, they're going to see you and they're going to notice you as a player if you're putting the chances in because they're going to create and he'd have a lot of chances to score. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like you'd think, I still think four million would be quite a good kind of deal if you could get him for that. I think he's like like a quality player. I really enjoyed like Ooh. him as a striker last year. Like good with his head, good with his feet. Um, just picked up goals when he needed him to, like in a team that wasn't great either. Like he was really good. Um, I think as well, like what you said is kind of St. needs players in, and I think while there may be dominoes to fall for him to leave, there's probably dominoes to fall once he's left. So in mm. their mind, it's kind of like a we have these players in mind. We need to get X amount of money out of this deal so we can then go and sign these players because yeah, they can't rely on Christian Balls to score. 30, 40 yard screamers every game, every game to win the matches. But again, they've started, they're unbeaten to start the season. Um, so Ben Hollerback will be happy in that sense that the players he's got there have responded to his kind of managerial style and kind of influence. But he, like you've said before, we've said on this podcast before, he's kind of come out and been like, we need some more 
bodies in this in this team because the drop off is quite big and at the moment they are dealing reasonably well without two of their best players in the in the fullbacks Hashioka and um, Kakashi. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. If he's still there in August, it's again going to be kind of like right at the end of the transfer window. Like, he just is he just going to come back and play? Like, I don't really know what his mindset is in that sense. Like, if he's like, mm. he may be frustrated if they don't sell him and be like, actually, I'm just not going to play because I've told you I wanted to leave and you're not letting me leave. But again, he's under contract, so he should technically be mm. playing. So it'd be interesting to see what he does in terms of that, like, because we've seen, obviously, uh, English football fans have seen Harry Kane just not turning up to training, which is just, in my mind, it's quite disrespectful um, of a club and its fans, especially when a player like that, it's like, the fans love you, they adore you, like, you can turn up at training and still kind of hammer on that you want to leave, but at least respect the rest of your club mates and stuff. So, again, I don't know if that's something Suzuki would do. I don't want to speculate that that is something he's done. I don't think it's anything. I don't think he's, like, not bothered turning up and like just being really disrespectful but I think he kind of wants to leave and I think it's probably best for them to get rid of him get some money in so yeah it's an interesting one we'll see what happens he may end up at Anderlecht if at the end of the at the end of the transfer window they're the only team that's willing to pay X amount and center and just need to get bodies in and need to get some new players so yeah I wouldn't be surprised to see him go there but for his sake if he wants to go to a different country I think there may be loads of factors. It could be like your own chick, he may have a girlfriend who's like, I don't want to stay in Belgium. I want to go to Italy, which you can kind of understand. Quite a nice place to live as well. So just depends what Italian teams will be interested. Um, that's for sure. But Anderlecht aren't just focusing on Suzuki. Um, I think it was what load of waffle last year called them loan delect uh, quite a bit. And it's coming <laughs> back again. Um yeah, so they are reportedly going to get uh, Joshua Xerxes uh, from Bayern München. So he is um, coming in on loan. We don't think there's a purchase option. Um, this hasn't been completely confirmed, but it seems like people in Germany and people in Belgium are both kind of agreeing that this is about to happen. Uh, for those who don't know, he's 20 years old, I believe. So he's still very, very young. Uh, he's a Dutch striker, uh, plays Dutch under-21 football. Um has played a bit for uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, he played like a couple of like sub appearances last year. A uh, year before that, he kind of played a bit in the first team as well and scored a couple of goals. He kind of like burst onto the scene and then he kind of leveled out, I guess you could say, in terms of like it was a big bang on. And he's like, okay, like actually, you're just not quite ready for the first team yet. Um, he's an interesting one for them to go after, I think, because I thought they might go for someone a little bit more established a little bit older maybe in the 25 26 range um but no this looks like the man they want to get uh last season he only played 13 games uh four of them in the in the Dritte Liga uh in Germany so that's for Bayern Munich's second team uh who got relegated I believe from that division and then he played four games for Parma in Serie A he joined them in I think it was about February uh of this year uh, only played four games they also got relegated um so yeah, it's interesting if, if um, he joins Anderlecht and they also get relegated. I think he would kind of have a bit of a curse going on about him. But yeah, Scott, what is kind of your opinion on this? I feel like the profile of striker isn't quite the one I was thinking. It kind of reminds me of when um, Club Brugge signed Chong last season. It's kind of like young player breaking in 
I mean, yeah, they do have slightly similar haircuts as well. So maybe there's, and they're both like Dutch. So there's kind of links between the two of them. They're very different players, but he's an exciting prospect, but is he quite the striker they should be going after? Yeah, it surprised me a wee bit this one as well. I mean, good young player. There's no question about that at all. I, I think um, I think this strikes me as, as one of those transfers where, um, you know, the phone the phone might have gone or an email might have gone um, at Lotto Park saying, you know, this player's available. Uh, are you aware of him? You know, would you be interested? Because, um, like you say, I, my, my initial reaction is, how does he fit yet? Um, he needs regular game time, obviously. Um, and he's obviously looking to get out somewhere for a while and, and play week in, week out. And obviously this is quite a good level to come to uh, in his situation. So it definitely makes sense for him. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it, if it works out actually on the pitch as well. Um, interesting one. Good good, good young player. Could, could do. I mean, could, I mean, the no purchase option in it is interesting as well because, um, you know, is he is he going into this with an open mind? Is it just about coming to play football, or is he prepared to come and play football, do well, and and maybe stay in Belgium a bit longer? You know, we never know. It's it's, it's one of those. Um, it's difficult for fans to take to a player sometimes unless they absolutely excel uh, with a loan deal. Um, if you know that there, you know, there's no purchase option as well. It's a hard one. That's kind of frustrating. You can never really win. Um, so we'll see what happens with this one, and you know, it should be confirmed shortly. I think. Yeah, no, definitely. In terms of like, you saw kind of how the fans gravitated towards Lucas Nemetza last year and they were kind of turning up with banners saying, please stay and stuff like that. They absolutely loved what Nemetza brought. And I think they kind of understood as well, it's going to be difficult to bring him back. So maybe the club are thinking, hopefully we can get a kind of Nemetza out of Xerxes uh, comes. Because yeah, like you said, he's a, he's a fantastic young talent. He's really exciting and it'd be really great to see him. But I'm just slightly worried that he's not played that much football. Um, obviously, he's played at reasonably high level in the Bundesliga, but not consistently. Like, Just concerned if it doesn't come off, if there's other issues and stuff that they've kind of put their eggs in this basket rather than kind of looking around a little bit more um, and like kind of having different profiles of strikers and stuff like that as well. Like Raman, for me, like I said last week, he's not like an out-and-out number nine. Um, he's more of like a 10 that kind of floats a little bit like off of a player. So maybe that could work, Xerxes and um, Raman. You definitely have some mobility in that strike force, uh, which could be quite terrifying. Like there's pace and like mobility and skill. Like Xerxes is a very skillful player as well. So he'd kind of link up well. And like the more I'm kind of talking about it, the more I'm kind of talking myself into it as a signing. But I just thought that maybe someone like a Suzuki as well. Like if you can get Xerxes in and another striker, I think you'd be quite happy with that because then you've got a little bit of strength and depth. You got tail in there if you really need to bring someone on like that. But I think if they can bring in some more strikers, they'll be happy to finally get Taylor off the books. Um, because he's been there a while and just keeps getting loaned out, and he clearly isn't the caliber of striker that company wants. Um, I yeah. think this is clearly company being. I think. Like, um, I think. Yeah, no, the, the good points actually, Ben. I mean, the thing with Anderlecht, of course, is to a certain extent they're they're rebuilding again. They lost Lakonga and Emecha and. The question is, you know, have they adequately replaced them or even, you know, anything close to that yet? And they, they, they probably haven't and they're still in the midst of that process. Um, and that partially explains, I suppose, their, their, their ropey start to the season. I have a slight theory that maybe Big Vinny uh, has a master plan and that is um, a bit like Mourinho did for years um, in doing well in Europe when domestically you weren't necessarily expected to do well. Uh, Big Vinny's sitting there thinking, it's all right, guys, it's okay, don't worry, relax. We're going to go and win the Conference League. 
um, and we're going to build from there, you know, and that that will buy me some more time. And stranger things have happened um, than that, that's for sure. <laughs> also, while uh, you were speaking, he has just been announced. Uh, they've just put up another play. Yeah, live on exactly, it. literally six minutes ago, a very funky uh, kind of Z uh, intro video for Xerxy in an Andalek kit. He's just got a Z on the back of his shirt and it's Z is for Xerxy um, as the thing. So that's confirmed. So I'm glad that actually has been confirmed and we didn't just do this whole section to find out he'd gone on loan to some other team like Stuttgart or Leipzig or someone like that. So that's always a positive. Yep. But yeah, no, I know what you mean about kind of just go win in Europe and do it like that. That'd be quite a, um, a bold way of doing it and kind of putting your eggs in that conference league basket would be, um, yeah quite an interesting one to do um before we go let's quickly go through kind of the draws that taken place uh, in terms of european football so kind of obviously tonight we've got genk against shakhtar donetsk uh if genk can get past shakhtar which is yeah the, one of the toughest ties they could have got they then face either as monaco or ac sparta so sparta plug in uh, the czech republic I mean, either of those teams are quite difficult teams to play against. Um, obviously, Sparta Prague have kind of made European football tournaments before as well. They're a good side. Monaco, we know the quality they have. Um, we see quite a lot of it at Circle of Brugge um, quite often, but I don't think we're going to see many of those guys playing in that. But yeah, so if Genk get through this stage, that's who they'll play. Um, for our friends, Royal Antwerp. Royal Antwerp will play in the Europa League playoff round. Uh, they play AC Omonia Nicosia, um, the team from Cyprus, or Flora Tallinn, um, the team from Estonia. Quite two interesting teams, actually, which I kind of don't mind either of those two, whichever one they get, because I'm quite interested to see those two sides anyway. Um having been to Estonia and to Cyprus and not been able to watch any football, it'd be nice to see some, what those two teams bring. And yeah, the final kind of one um, for Ghent. So Ghent are playing RFS from Latvia. And if they can get through that one, uh, they'll have a tricky tie potentially against Lubin Kazan uh, of Russia, or they'll play against kind of like a surprise package of Polish football over the last couple of years, uh, Rakov Chestova. Uh, Chestochova, sorry. Um, I think that's how you pronounce that one. <laughs> Again, I think those, though, although all three of those kind of ties are quite interesting, uh, Scott, which one of those kind of jumps out of you? Um, I, I think I've got one eye on, on kind of Gink's journey, um, just because I'm, I'm really hoping. Um, that we have two two Belgian teams in, in in the Champions League. I'm really really you know fingers and toes crossed for that because I think that would be that would be amazing, absolutely amazing. I think um, for for lots of reasons, but it's tough it's tough to get in. Um, I did wonder when I saw that Monaco are their potential uh, opponents in the next round. I did wonder whether Circle might fancy turning up instead. Um, you know that 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 would be kind of quite quite good fun if they sent them as a proxy. Um, maybe some of their players will, will offer to play instead. <laughs> yeah, right. Put themselves in the shop window for loans to uh, the Circle of Rouge. <laughs> uh, so I also forgot to mention Anderlecht. Obviously, they're playing um, Lack uh, of Albania in the qualifying rounds for the UEFA Conference League, which is happening this week on the 5th of August. I'm not sure. I haven't seen who they're up against. I don't know if you know, Scott, who they'll be playing in the next round. Oh, that's a, I don't know if the draw has been made. I think... I think... 
I think potentially, um, I think they could be playing Vitesse Arnhem if they get through, which would be a, a Bene, yes. Bene Liga style European fixture to, to um, get us all salivating over, wouldn't oh, it, everyone? Bene Liga <laughs> chat will come back, wouldn't it? That will happen if that comes up. Um, but yeah, I think looking at those, I expect, I think the hardest one, as we said, is um, is Genk. They've got the toughest. Obviously, that's you're going to get in the Champions League. Um I fancy that Antwerp should have enough to beat Nicosia or Flora Tallinn, but these qualifying rounds just throw up crazy, crazy results. And if you go into the games thinking you're going to win, you won't, because even if there's teams from Estonia or their teams from Cyprus, like these are good teams and they want to win. Like for them, it's kind of a no, kind of there's no pressure. They're not expected to do it. They're not expected to make it. So could be interesting. Um, yeah, and then Ghent in the Conference League, like that feels like a a tough one if you get Ruben Kazan, um, especially as they probably have the best kind of football social media presence out there uh, with their manager Leonard Slutsky rapping um, about Kazan and the new foot, their new team kind of their new kit announcement, which is him doing a rap. So very excited if they get Ruben Kazan. Um, very very excited. Although I feel like we. Come on and rap with yeah, us, if, if, Well, rap that us. <laughs> no, I'm not rapping. <laughs> yeah, Lenin Slutsky, uh, very, very good manager, though. In all seriousness, very, very good manager. Ruben Kazan, a very, very good team as well um, in Russian football. So, yeah, if they get their more lack of just over. Uh, but first of all, they need to beat uh, the, the Latvian side, RFS. So, could be interesting. Um, before we go, let's quickly look ahead to the matches coming up. Scott, what game are you looking forward to that's coming up this weekend? Well, I think the tasty one I'm going to pick out is a Kortrijk's home game against Joris's side, Gink. Yeah, that looks a really good one. Um, oh, what kind of game am I interested in? Oh, there's so many good ones. I think standard Liège against Antwerp. I'd go for one of for that game. I think it's going to be interesting. Antwerp needs to pick up some points and kind of get that going. Where Standard looked reasonably good against Odda, uh, picking up that two-one win against Odda again. So that should be a good game. Uh, good atmosphere there as well. It's a shame that Ballyquisha won't be there because I think that'd make the atmosphere even spicier. Um, but he's missing that one due to injury. Um, quickly run through what other games are on. We've actually we didn't mention it, but we'll mention it now. The we have our first Bruges derby uh, of the season. Club Bruges against Circular Bruges, which takes place on Friday, uh, the seven forty-five kickoff UK time. Uh, Beer Shot host Union Saint-Gelois. Mechelen host Erpen. St. Troden hosts Zolta Valagem. As Scott said, Saturday evening rounds off with Kortrijk against Genk. Uh, Standard Liège and Antwerp kick, off us, cook it, eh, kick us off on Sunday. Leuven hosts Charleroi. Anderlecht hosts New Boys Salang. And then the weekend finishes with Oostend against Genk. And that's about it from us on this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. As always, Scott, thank you very much for joining me pleasure great to be here and i will see you soon everyone fantastic and yeah as always if any of you guys are interested in freelancing in football uh, definitely check out freelancefootballops.com or search for them on social media they find you so many freelance jobs within football there's some really really interesting ones on their subscription newsletter at the moment some that have been up for a while so maybe you are the person that these businesses and sports industry areas are looking for and as always if you enjoy listening to what we do we would be really really would feel really, really grateful if you would leave us uh, a little review uh, on the area that you access your podcast. I know it's not possible on Spotify, but places like Apple and stuff like that, please just do, yeah, drop your kind of comments, your reviews, what you think about the podcast. Um, 
if you don't have an access to that, you can always get in touch with us. Uh, our Twitter account is at Belgium Podcast. We're always kind of open to any DMs and stuff like that. You can also get in touch with us individually. I'm at Benjack94. Scott's at Scott underscore coin. And Yoris is at Yoris underscore Beck. Alternatively, if you don't want to do it via Twitter or social media, you can find us at, we have our Gmail account. It's BelgianFootPodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you very soon on another episode of the BFB. BFB.